Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad on Middle of the Week. Hump Day, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com to help with all your financing and refinancing needs with everything that pertains to land. Whether you're a farmer or not, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Middle of the week, Borky, what's up? Not a whole lot. Anything? How's your day? What's going on? What are you excited about for the evening? Did you turn into Rippy? Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, no, day's good. Just, uh, you know, can't take my mind off of what's coming next week, so I haven't really been able to focus. And at The notes I made today for the show, they're just so scatterbrained because that's kind of how I am right now. I, I am fully occupied on, uh, on next week. So, like, I even tried to watch some baseball last night, and I found myself staring and not seeing anything. Like I just I wasn't even watching. It's it's crazy, but uh, that's just where I am right now. So you're all baby all the time. All baby all the time. That's all I can think about. Just think of the dirty diapers. That'll get your mind off it. There you go. See, that's not going to be all that bad to me. My uh, I spent some time around my almost one year old niece a few weeks ago, and that just that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. I guess I'm one of the lucky ones that isn't bothered by that. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But wait, um, wait till you see the first one though. That'll bother you. I've been told, yeah. Yeah, but the early ones aren't bad. I mean, they're, I mean the they're very kind of, first one. The very. Well, I didn't know there was a scale for this. I thought it was all just oh, there's gross. Oh, there's definitely a scale, Rippy. Yeah, I mean, the, the first couple are kind of gross looking, but the hospital people will change a couple of them, and your wife's going to want to change diapers early, so you're not going to get hit with a big load of that right out of the gate. That's great <laughs> phrasing. Nice. See what I did there? Um good. And then for the first few months, they don't really smell. Oh, I don't buy that. I mean, n- not in the way that they, at times down the line, will have the ability to. They're just they're they're getting rid of nothing but milk waste. So, once you start in- introducing some uh, some different foods, then things get a little more interesting. <laughs> what, Rippy? Is that more description than you wanted or needed? Yes. All right. Hey, Dad, how are you on a Wednesday? Doing great. Feeling good. Yeah? What's the uh, what's the level of excitement around Starkville for uh, trips to Knoxville this weekend?
Must be. <laughs> Just sounds like it's riveting. People can't wait. I think you dropped for a second. How's your Wednesday, Rippy? Good. Everybody rocking along? Yes. Base. Jeez, uh, people talk. It's the radio. I had to top Borky something. Yeah, I figured that's what was going on there. Killing me. How about some baseball today? A couple of game fives. Winner take all. Advancing to league championship series. Cardinals, Braves coming up in less than an hour. And then the uh, Washington Nationals at the Dodgers. So a game five at Chavez Ravine. A game five at SunTrust Park. And tomorrow night, you got a game five in Houston after uh, after a win last night by Tampa Bay. How impressed were you with Tampa Bay in that game last night? More just surprised, but they played a really clean game defensively and then got a couple early runs on Verlander, which I guess was the difference. I didn't really see it coming. Um, but their pitching staff impressed me more than anything, and they're set up pretty well for game five. I don't know if they'll win, but I would not feel great if I were Houston. Um, Charlie Morton was was good early in the ball game. They had a wait. No, that was the game before. I'm sorry. Castillo started, didn't go deep. Was he kind of considered an opener in that game last night? I think they were just trying to get as much as they could out of him because there really wasn't a ton of room for error. I mean, they got up three, four, nothing, and like if it gets particularly with the Astros, you know, four, one, four, two, and like you're, you know, right back in it. I don't think they wanted that to happen. And they were pretty good in the bullpen, and now they have. Morton and presumably Snell available again behind Glasnow for the game five. So not great to be Houston, even though they have Garrett Cole. But he's pretty good. Diego Castillo went an inning and two thirds. So the five outs that he recorded, three were strikeouts. Two innings from Ryan Yarbrough, who got the win. He gave up two hits. Didn't strike anybody out, but didn't give up a run. Uh, Anderson came in. Poche pitched. Pagan pitched, and then uh, Snell at the end. Blake Snell went two thirds of an inning, had a strikeout. And uh, was able to get the save. Justin Verlander, three and two thirds innings, seven hits, four earned runs. He struck out five, but gave up three home runs. Is that right? Is it two or three? Two. I, I may, may have just been two home runs, um, but did not respond well on uh, on three days rest. Uh, Fam hit a home run in the first inning. And Adams hit a home run in the fourth inning, so it was two home runs off of um, off of uh, Verlander in the uh, in the game. So an impressive win for the uh, for the Rays last night to force a game five. Uh, Cardinals and Braves first pitch fifty minutes away. I feel like that's going to be a really good environment for game five, even with a uh, a relatively early start in that game. We got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Bunch to get to. We'll talk more about these game fives, two of which are happening today. A, uh, a key arm for Mississippi State's baseball team, not going to be on the team. Well, he'll be on the team. He's just not going to be available. As uh, got a Tommy John issue, we'll get to that. Uh, NFL executives have weighed in on who they would like to lead a game-winning drive and get some interesting results out of that. We'll take a look at it. Drew Brees, could he potentially be coming back sooner uh, than was initially thought? We've got a college football stat of the day. We're going to look deep at Missouri and Tennessee, and we'll have a guest on the Farm Bureau phone line to uh, to do that. Uh, more yuckiness in the NBA, China, Hong Kong situation. That story is not going away. On this day in college football history, that's presented by Acoustic Wave, and it's coming up a little bit later this afternoon. One of the really good all-time stories for you happened on this day in 
history. So 99. All of that. 1999 is the day. 1999. And it's not exactly on this day. We're, we're going to have to be a little flexible, but the story's great. It's on this week. So okay. Red River Week 1999. All right. So we've got uh, that coming up for you this afternoon. What? You look perplexed. No, just stretching. Um, <laughs> Jeez. I didn't do anything. I almost <laughs> wish this was on television. Like, I, I wish we had video streams so that you could see what I'm dealing with. Hey, Dad, I asked you earlier, and then it cut out, which was kind of interesting because it made it sound like just dead silence. Level of excitement for uh, Mississippi State and Tennessee on Saturday. For me or for, for MSU fans? Yes, all of the okay. above. I'm excited because, like I said, I've never been there, and you know it'll be. I, I enjoy my job, so I'm looking forward to covering it. Uh, fans, I think it's more trepidation to be than, than excitement. I think MSU fans are, I think they're confident that the team's going to win, but they are also confident that things have gone poorly in the past when State's gone on the road under Joe Moorhead. So I think there's a uh, an air of uh, concern. We'll say. Okay. Sounds good. Where are you going to eat Friday night? You going to Calhoun's or somewhere else? I haven't decided yet. I've been looking at that, and uh, I did an interview with the guy we're going to have on the air a little bit later, Austin Stanley. That'll be on tomorrow's podcast, and he recommended Calhoun's. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Luke Their Johnson are not bad. Calhoun's, so I'm I may have to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a cool environment right down on the river. Yeah, see the stadium off in the uh, in the There's, distance as well, and there the boats seems on to be fire. No shortage. Yeah, there seems to be no shortage of good restaurants in Knoxville, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, maybe so. I, I've never thought of Knoxville as like, oh, this is the place where I can't wait to go and eat three or four meals out. But uh, maybe there are some good spots. But you know, the downtown area in Knoxville's come a long way. What was that, Borky? You know where there or what there is a short of a shortage of in Knoxville? God, I ruined my joke. A uh, good football team. Sorry. Oh. That would have been good if I could speak fluently. Yeah. Uh, Charlie says that uh, Borky, he and his wife are having a, uh, a baby uh, next Friday as well. Yeah, we're going to race. going in on Friday, and you want to race him. <laughs> My wife versus your wife. Who can squeeze Char- the little thing out there faster? Ch- Charlie says that, uh, that he appreciates you being shady. Yeah, I got some stuff going on, man. Jacob in Columbus, I have a very strong resistance to gagging, and let me tell you, my kids... (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Stop. I can't read the rest of that. There you go. Derek in Greenwood suggests Sam and Andy's as a uh, restaurant spot for uh, for you. Hey, Dad, you might want to look into that. I'll look into it, yeah. Uh, David in Oxford, I have a three-year-old and a three-week-old. Three-week-old's poop doesn't stink. Three-year-old, different story. That's what I was trying to tell you. Um, somebody says, Richard, be careful what you say on the radio. The entire state is under a burn van. More coming up. Let's talk some baseball next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. They've got the uh, NLDS pregame show going on TBS right now. and Kind of going back and Looking at Yadier Molina. I had not seen that celebration. Oh, goodness. When he hit the sacrifice fly, he carried his bat with him up the first baseline. And once he realized it was deep enough to get the run home, he just turned and flung his bat out into right field. 
Well, he and Acuna have a throat slash thing going on. Oh, really? Yeah. They don't like each other? No, they've been throat slashing the opposing, like, dugouts or each other or whatever. Oh. You're not really supposed to do that, are you? Or is that just a football thing? It's okay in baseball. I have no idea whose throat you can and cannot slash. Not not uh, not one of those unwritten rules that get you in trouble? I don't think they have those in the playoffs. Oh. No, no unwritten rules in the playoffs. Except if you're that cat from St. Louis who wants to be respected as a veteran after he gives up a ball that hasn't landed. Who? Um, Martinez, the kid from uh, the pitcher for the or the closer for the Cardinals. I guess he's not a closer. <laughs> if he was, he's not anymore. Yeah. Um. All right. So we talked about Tampa Bay winning last night, four to one, to force uh, Game Five. You think that Houston could potentially be in trouble? I mean, they're not facing a team on their last limb for Game 5. Like, that is for sure. The Rays are set up pretty well. I don't know if they'll lose, but... As a Yankees fan, I should certainly be pulling for Tampa, right? I mean, I guess to some degree, but... Tampa's pretty good. No, I don't disagree with that. Everybody's good at this point, but if you get to face... Charlie Morton and Diego Castillo, and... Blake Snell versus having to face the arms that Houston's going to run out at you, you probably feel better about your chances against Tampa Bay, don't you, in a seven-game series? Yeah, sure. I think that's fair. But yeah. still, like I wouldn't feel much better. If it does turn out to be Houston and New York, are we potentially looking at like one of the all-time great ALCSs? Happened a couple years ago. Yeah, it was fantastic. Went seven games two years ago. Um, so games today, St. Louis and Atlanta, Jack Flaherty against Mike Fultonevich, Fulty and Flaherty. Uh, it was a good outing earlier in this series when those two met last Friday in game two. So back to Wednesday. So basically full rest for, for both guys. How does this one shake out? What, what, is it a bigger day offensively than we saw when the two of them were on the mound last time? I think it'll be relatively low scoring because neither one of them are on short rests. It sent me playoff wise. I don't think so. So I don't know. It'd be a close game. In in terms of who's favored, if you want to gamble on this game, both the Cardinals and the Braves are at minus one ten. And where I looked, you had uh, St. Louis. Uh, excuse me, Atlanta was favored on the money line, or I guess the run line, minus one and a half. On the uh, on the run line in uh, in this one, so and then Washington and uh, and Los Angeles tonight, Strasburg and Bueller on the mound. That's a heck of a pitching matchup for a chance to go to the NLCS. Yeah, that's probably the one that I'm more looking forward to. Both will be or all three will be great, but I think this first one is for someone that doesn't have a dog in the fight, probably the least compelling. But that's very much splitting hairs. I mean, it's a playoff game five. Which one, St. Louis, Atlanta? Yeah, is less compelling. To me, then Astros, Rays, and Dodgers, uh, Nationals, yes. But again, slightly. I'm not saying I'm going to be bored by it, but like. I don't know. I would say if you polled the majority of people in this part of the country, they would absolutely tell you that's the one they're most interested in. Because people here are Braves fans. Or Cardinals fans. Yeah, but yeah, of course. I get that. So you're just going general baseball fan, don't care, just want to watch one. It's Strasburg and Bueller. Yeah. Did you guys hear what Dan Mullen did on the, uh, the coach's teleconference today? I already wears cool nah, shoes. What do you do? What do you do? Was it call another player dirty even when the player wasn't dirty? 
No, he didn't do that. So Chuck Dunlap from the SEC office is kind of the moderator on that call and uh, it had a couple of questions for Dan Mullen, and he goes, uh, any more questions for Coach Mullen? He was silent on the line for a second, and Mullen goes, Bueller, Bueller, <laughs> anyone, <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> That's what he did. He kind of, kind of gave a little hee-hee at the end of it. And he's like, all right, guys, and hung up to, to uh, shut it down. He's feeling himself, rightfully so. Yeah. He's won 16 and 19, started his career there. In Gainesville. Pretty good. Hey, Dad. Yes? Is is the level, uh, I don't even know that respect is the right word, but the level of accomplishment for what Dan Mullen did in Starkville viewed more favorably now than it was 18 months ago? I, I There's something to that. I mean, a lot of people thought that Moorhead was just going to come in and take off and and you know maybe improve upon it and 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 that didn't happen. So yeah, there's, I think there's definitely a wow. You know, maybe a, don't know what she got till it's gone kind of thing going on there. But that really wasn't ever like completely a realistic belief, right? Like the odds of the best coach ever being replaced by a guy that's going to make it better is usually slim to none in that sport. Usually, usually, but I mean, I think, and, and we we could have had a situation where the results didn't mirror that. You know, state could have gone. You know, they had opportunities to win games last year. That they they should have won. You know, the Florida game stands out. Maybe the uh, I, I, I hate to say Kentucky, but the the bowl game would would stand out as another one that you feel like State did enough to win. And if it's if Moorhead had gone ten and two last year, he might not be better than Mullen. But you would have thought, okay, well there you go, he's off and running. So, well, but I I I guess what I was getting at, revisionist history is not the the way to describe it. But there were people when Dan Mullen finally moved on that were okay with it because they were tired of the dance Mm -hmm. that happened seemingly at the end of almost every year of his name was being mentioned for this job and that job and did he want to go or did he really want to stay? Well, they were happy in Starkville. Oh, no, this is a dream job. I'm going to take this one. Dan Mullen was leaving after the season two years ago one way or another. It yeah. was going to happen. It was going to be Knoxville. We've talked about that in fairly specific detail right up until the point when Scott Strickland called him and wanted him to come to Florida, and then it was clearly all of a sudden not Knoxville to the point of right. people in Knoxville thought he was coming and he's not returning phone calls and his agent's not returning phone calls. So that was going to happen. But hey, Dad, I, I guess I just feel like there were a lot of people that were like, you know what, fine, move on, ready for a change, plateaued, doing the same thing every year. Yeah. Winning the games you're supposed to win and not winning the games you're not supposed to win. And people just grew weary with it, as they are wont to do with anybody who's in one place for a long time. Oh, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that, I think there was a, a segment, a large segment of the MSU fan base that was tired of the of the every year being brought up for uh, for other jobs. And you did hear the term plateaued a lot, which is, is crazy considering, you know, Plateau means it was just a re- it was a, an extremely <laughs> elevated plateau. Yeah, I mean they they were doing as good as I think as Mississippi Mississippi State can historically you know expect to do, um, and now you look back at that and you're like, well, gosh, maybe there was a mistake. You know, so I see somebody on the text line saying Mississippi State should have paid Dan Mullen. Money wasn't the issue; he was just ready to go. The state could have offered him seven million a year. They could have offered him anything they, they wanted as far as money. He was just ready to go. 
Um, all right, let's go to the text line. I'm not sure this Tennessee game is is as much of a layup as state folks and the media think it is. State's defense has no-showed the two road games this year. Who's saying it's a layup? Vegas? Who, who? A six-and-a-half yeah, point. It's a six-point line. That's not a layup. That's that's a yeah, close a, game. It's a touchdown where the road team's favored. I mean, I get that, but that, that doesn't strike me as a layup game. You know, Alabama okay. is a 17-and-a-half point favorite over Texas A&M. That's a layup. Shouldn't it be one, though? It should, but it's not. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. One of the best new phones is here, and C Spire is celebrating with a fully loaded deal. Buy the latest phone and get another one free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. C Spire, customer inspired. I'm not sure I entirely agree with this. Somebody texts in and says, he, and I'm assuming that's Dan Mullen that we're still talking about, never really engaged our community. Um, I think Dan and Megan were pretty involved charitably, mm -hmm. but he's just not a warm and fuzzy, shake hands, back slap kind of guy. Yeah. He has a large back to slap. Sort of hunched over. But, he's, yeah. I mean... He's aloof, yeah. right? I've lived in Starkville basically since 1994, except for a couple of years here and there. And, I mean, the times I saw Coach Cheryl out in public, Coach Croom out in public, and Coach Mullen out in public are probably all about the same. I mean, you just don't, you know, I don't know what you mean by embracing the community. Yeah. You I'd be scared to play the cry, though. Yeah, well, I certainly did that. Yeah. From David, from the very first day. I'd be scared to play the Vols right now. They are desperate and due for a win. Craig says at least one thing we don't have to worry about with Moorhead. Is he going to stay or go? Wow. True story. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. We got this message on the ceasefire text line just uh, a moment ago. It's a story from ESPN. And just... Oh, half an hour, 40 minutes or so from uh, from first pitch of Atlanta-St. Louis. And a big part of what Atlanta fans do to cheer is they chop. The Braves' official Twitter account and pretty much all Braves fans, when they tweet about the Braves, they use the hashtag chop on. The tomahawk chop. It's been going for ever. Not forever, but... Decades in Atlanta. St. Louis has a relief pitcher who is of Cherokee descent. He's a member of the Cherokee Nation. And he has expressed his displeasure and said he is offended by what Atlanta does. Ryan Helsley is his name. The Braves announced earlier today that they will not distribute foam tomahawks to each seat as they've done in the previous games, previous home games of the NLDS. The decision is part of an effort by the Braves to reduce the tomahawk chop during today's game, a response to recent concerns voiced by Cardinals reliever Ryan Helsley. Again, Helsley is a member of the Cherokee Nation. He told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch last Friday that he believes the tomahawk chop is disrespectful and devalues perceptions of Native Americans. The Braves said in a statement out of respect 
For the concerns expressed by Mr. Helsley, we will take several efforts to reduce the tomahawk chop during our in-ballpark presentation today. We will continue to evaluate how we activate elements of our brand as well as the overall in-game experience. We look forward to a continued dialogue with those in the Native American community after the postseason continues. The Braves announced that they will not play the accompanying, accompanying music to the chant or use any chop-related graphics on their scoreboard, video board, when Helsley is in the game. Aren't the Braves going to play this as it's convenient? Like, okay, they're not going to do it when Helsley's in the game, but don't you know that if there's a big moment in the game, they're going to crank that music up as loud as it'll go, trying to get that crowd going? Clearly, I say clearly, it's clear to me, I do not have any that I'm aware of Native American background in my lineage. Um, I don't know if any of you do or not. And and probably so I guess not, it's, but probably more than Elizabeth Warren. Maybe. Oh, there's your politics I, for the day. I, I guess because that is the case, and certainly I'm not a member of the Cherokee Nation or any other nation that I'm aware of. And I'm not being offen- trying to be offensive or flippant when I say that. I guess I don't understand or I can't understand the offensiveness or the disrespectfulness or the devaluation that occurs as a result of a tomahawk chop. But I can't help but wonder if this is not a case of being offended for the sake of being offended. Yeah, I think there's some gamesmanship happening here. I mean, like you said, this chop's been going on forever. That guy's played in that stadium before, but it's right before Game 5 that we've, we've got an issue with it. Ryan Helsley is 25 years old. I think he's a rookie this year, so maybe it's limited. I mean, he was obviously in the uh, in a game in St. Louis. He is... Um, out of, uh, is it Telequa? Telequa, Oklahoma, I think. Tahlequah. Tahlequah. Sure. You ever seen Where the Red Fern Bros? Gross? Come on, man. I have, and I've even read the book. It's where the coon hunt was, where he takes the dogs. In Tahlequah? Yeah. There's your history for the day. Actually, I don't even think that thing's real life, so never mind. It was a story. Played at Northeastern State. Uh, pitched in 24 games in the regular season. Has pitched in two postseason games. So... Anyway, so if uh, if you're a Braves fan and you're wondering why they are not chopping as much during the stadium, well, there you go. Now you know the rest of the story. Ceasefire text line, stop trying to be politically correct with everything, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about Native Americans or be offensive, but Helsley needs to grow up and grow, well, you know where that's going. Grow what? Uh, I have Choctaw in, uh, this is another text, I have Choctaw blood in me, and I say chop, chop, chop on. Another text that says chop on Braves. Uh, I'm a Cubs fan, and birds offend me, so the Cardinals need to go. You could have gone with the birds aren't real stance. Not doing the chop is Bush League. (laughs) 
He must be liberalized then. My Cherokee great-grandmother would have beaten the heck out of someone for babying her because she was Native American. Derek and Greenwood. Boo freaking who. Braves fall in the loser category today for giving in. Yeah, a lot of strong opinions there. Um, it isn't about the nation, Mr. Cross. It is about being an, an indoctrinated leftist. <laughs> okay. So what do you do about this, though, if you're the Braves? What do you do? They're doing... I know Because they've already it, it, given in, right? I mean, that's kind of the point. Once you give in, it's hard to... Uh, to then the slope up becomes a fairly slippery. I don't right. think so. I don't think so. I I don't disagree with what you are saying. Is like generally when you give in or whatever. And I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on this one way or another. But it sounds like while they're saying they're reducing it, when he's in the game and all that, they're going to do this. And then in two weeks, when nobody remembers this happens, they're going to carry on business as usual. That sounds exactly like what they're trying to do here. What was the statement? They're not going to. They're going to limit it, and then they're not going to do it when they he's in the game. They won't put any graphics on the board. They won't put the tomahawk graphic on the board, and they won't chop while he's in the game. What do you want to bet if they win and make it to the CS? It's business as usual. What do you want to bet that Braves fans get a big old chop going sans music with him in the game? Okay, well, see that, but then that would cause that would cause some crap. It would stir stuff up if they did that. That's my question. Once you give in, and then there's going to be a resistance. Now people are going to draw sides, and then it. That's why you don't give in in the first place. I think this will be forgotten in two weeks. Louis says the chop is no more offensive than Baby Shark. What does Baby Shark stem from? I hear that reference all the time. It's, it's something a, it's that I'm going to learn song. about very soon. Yeah, yeah. It's a kid's movie? Song. It's a song, yeah. So you'll be changing diapers to that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. The Redskins are offensive. Tomahawks are not. He just meant the play of the Redskins. Like, Maybe they know, can change their name to the Land Sharks while they're at it. That's from Luke and Flowood. Oh. I, I don't understand the sequitur here. Darren and Jackson says, I'm all for it. I'm a diehard Cards fan anyway. Tim says they need to chop like usual. Thomas and Greenwood says, what's next? We have teams have to give up mascots and songs <laughs> like from Dixie with Love. Oh, wait. We did have Max Kellerman squad on that take a while back that Notre Dame should get rid of theirs. Do what? Max Kellerman decided that there was some hot topic. I think it was like the Cleveland Indians or the Redskins. Yeah, this story gets regurgitated like every half decade, I would say. Maybe a couple times um, in a half decade. And then Max Kellerman went on to say, and if Irish people are offended, Notre Dame should get rid of their mascot. It's quite the take. Rob, for great television. Robin Tupelo says, if this actually offended him, why is it only brought up when they're in the playoffs? He's a rookie. 24 appearances. I don't I mean we can look up what's what's his name again? I for, uh 25. His name is 25. Ryan Helsley. Okay. <laughs> He's related yeah, to You call Mike Bianco 5 times. all the time. <laughs> Said his name? Yeah, we told him we called him 5 one day and he wasn't real sure what to think of that. I haven't gotten back to him since. Respect to the Braves for trying though. They're doing what they think is right. Good for them. Shame on that kid for being a crybaby. Some of these I cannot read on the air. Paula says the Braves should trade for him and see if he's offended then. Hmm. When he comes in the game, the fans will handle it. Amanda in Pike County. I've tried to find something interesting in my DNA. It ain't there. I'm as white bread as they come. 
They're called the Braves, not the Cowards. From my Caucasian perspective, seems like a compliment. Maybe? What do I know? So it does not appear, from what I can tell from his game logs on MLB.com, that he has pitched in Atlanta before this. He spent most of the year in Memphis. He was in Memphis until, I think he was eight. No, he would have. September call-up? Possibly, but there's a gap in between the beginning of August and the like the month of August, for whatever reason, is non-existent here. He probably was right for September. Because what, he has 24 appearances? I'm a fourth-generation cattle farmer. Cowbells offend me. Alan Brandon. Did Native Americans not use a tomahawk as a tool-slash-weapon? History should not be offensive. Let's not suggest that the crowd use weapons there, buddy. Uh, yes, I think it's pretty clear how our audience feels about this decision by the Atlanta Braves. Some bad news for Mississippi State on the pitching front. Obviously a pretty significant waste for the start of the college baseball season, but one guy that the Bulldogs will be without for the year. We'll tell you who when we come back and uh, get some of the details on that in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Necro throwing out the first pitch today in Atlanta. Putting on a little bit of a show. I was just uh, talking in the break with Rippy. I, I think he thought I was silly for even mentioning this, but man, you got a classic uniform matchup today. Braves doing the all whites and Braves across the chest and Cardinals in their traditional gray road uniforms. That's what it's supposed to look like when uh, when those two teams play. I didn't disagree, but you were acting as if they had strayed from it earlier, earlier in the series, I guess is what I was asking. Didn't the Braves wear the uh, the navy blue tops? Yeah, but that's like a fairly regular thing they do on the road. No, I know that. I don't mind them. I know it is. I know it is. I'm just saying I like the traditional uniforms. And you don't have as many teams that just stick with traditional uniforms anymore. Well, it has the tomahawk on it, so you're a fan of, fan of problematic stuff, it seems like. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> I think pretty much everything Atlanta does has the tomahawk on it. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. I have. That was kind of part of it. Yes, I understand that. Like, when the Cubs started wearing the royal blue top, you know, on the road is one thing, but come on, man. You can get away from pinstripes at home for the Cubs? I don't know. Just kind of a uniform purist. Um, Hey, Dad, get us up to date on Brandon Smith. Tommy John surgery, going to miss the entire 2020 season. Yeah. Uh, first of all, any any details beyond just the facts there? No, nah, nah, you, you you've got the uh, the headline pretty much covers it all. He will be uh, missing the season. W- went out in that uh, scrimmage isn't the right word, you know, exhibition game, whatever you want to call it. This past weekend, he got the start in the second half of the game when they they went the second seven innings, struck out the first two batters, and then uh, was unable to continue after that. Uh, just left the mound. Uh, and now he'll be out for the season. So that's a that's a damaging blow for a guy who was probably going to compete for a, a weekend rotation spot and would have definitely been in the mix to be one of the midweek guys and a long reliever on the weekends, if nothing else. What is the most likely rotation for Mississippi State this year? Obviously, JT Ginn starting on Friday nights. And then if I, you're, you're right, we got a long way to go. But if you had to ask me, or if you asked Jake Mangum from uh, the podcast the other day, he would tell you that Saturday is probably going to be Eric Sarantola. And then the big left-hander, Christian McLeod, uh, on Sundays. That's a guy who was uh, set to be a part of the, the rotation a season ago, or at least be a big part of it, and uh, got mono after the fall and was just wiped out by that and, and just could not get back into it. 
And uh, but he's he's a hundred percent now. And uh, that, right now, that's that's what it looks like. Super super early. Sarantola pitched some in the midweek and early in the season was really really good. Later in the year, it kind of came and went a little bit. Is that am I remembering that correctly? That, that's that's about right. That he you know he, first couple of weekends you you watched him and you thought wow State's found another big power arm and that's what he is you know six foot five six foot six seen through the the mid nineties but. He had a midweek start. I can't remember exactly who it was against, but he could not get anybody out. And from there, you just didn't see him for a while. But then he came back. He pitched a couple of strong innings in the SEC tournament. You saw him in Omaha, and it looks like you know if things are going the, the correct way for him, uh, that he will be a, a a force to be reckoned with for for MSU. He certainly got the talent. Big fastball, right? Oh yeah, ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, good stuff. See, the Braves wore their red jerseys on Friday last week at home. Against the Cardinals. It's not my favorite. I have a buddy at the game, and this gentleman is... Okay. You got pictures from the... What's what's he wearing there? Appears to be some sort of headdress. Oh. <laughs> you think he's you think he's currently seeking out and yelling at Ryan Helsley? I have no idea. I don't really want to know what he's doing. It looks like he was gulping down a tall boy as well. That, that's not your buddy. That's just no, 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 some no, that's just guy. some guy in front of him. That is not him. There you go. Uh, C Spire text line open, 601-879-4395, the number for you to be a part of the conversation this afternoon. Um, I don't guess you've had a chance to uh, to talk with Chris Lamonis yet, though, about Brandon Smith's injury. Not about Brandon Smith's injury, no. We talked to Lamonis uh, last Friday uh, before all this had happened. You know, and he It's funny, sort of funny and ironic, and that's just the way it goes, but he talked about, you know, oh, yeah, pretty healthy right now, and then you lose a guy like this you know, a day later. We'll do it a little bit earlier than normal since we've got baseball starting right now. Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know what the, the breakdown on our listeners is one way or uh, another. Probably that we had a poll or something to figure out. Cardinals or Braves? Yeah. Mork- Morky, should we do a, uh, a quick Twitter poll? Cardinals fan or Braves fan? Yeah, sure, why not? I'm just curious. Based, I mean, not that that would be terribly scientific. Uh, well, I'm not offended. That, that would necessarily that, you know, say what? Now, hey, I'm offend- now I'm offended because my team is left off of your poll. Yeah, well, I'll put the, the third option as this year. nobody cares. They're not in the playoffs anyway. Oh, probably a little Nats long for Twitter though. though. Yeah, I'm big Nats fan. Uh, a little long. Uh, let's take uh, let's take St. Louis getting plus one and a half on the uh, on the run line. So that would mean Atlanta would have to win by two or more. Feels like it could be a close game. I kind of think I like Ryan Flaherty to win in this game for uh, for St. Louis, but uh, we'll see. We'll just uh, we'll leave the outcome in jeopardy, but take uh, St. Louis getting the run and a half on the uh, the run line and see where it goes. That is your sports book at the Timeout Lounge pick of the day. Coming up next, we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line and talk with Austin Stanley about the Tennessee Vols. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team and talk with Austin Stanley from A to Z Sports in Nashville. He's got the pulse on what's going on with the Titans and the Preds and maybe a little bit of Vanderbilt and uh, certainly the Tennessee Volunteers. That is Mississippi State's opponent this coming Saturday morning 
in Knoxville. Austin, what's up, man? How's it going down there? Good, man. Things are good. Appreciate a little bit of your time uh, this afternoon. We've been looking at this game all week and, and really for a couple of weeks since Mississippi State had an open date. And this is a critical game for Mississippi State in terms of momentum and winning a game that on paper it feels like you're supposed to win. Is critical a strong enough word to describe it for Tennessee? I think every uh, every game that has a spread under two touchdowns is pretty critical to uh, Jerry Pruitt, and I saw this one sitting at seven. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think I think the Vols, because of Brian Maurer, the new quarterback who started last week against Georgia, the extra energy and juice that he gave the offense, uh, and the fact that this is a home game for Tennessee, I think that uh, a portion of the Vol fan base feels confident um, in this game, but. I think if if Tennessee can beat Mississippi State, then you can really start to see Jeremy Pruitt potentially building something here in year two. But I don't think many people are expecting a win from Tennessee here. You know, Austin, a, a couple of weeks back, we spent a lot of time talking about Ole Miss in a, a four-touchdown loss to Alabama, kind of finding something. Um, given the way the two previous games had gone against Alabama, people kind of latched on to the fact that, okay, there's progress there. Uh, you can see a young team that, that's getting a little bit better and, and is maybe starting to make some strides. It felt like that was part of the narrative that was coming out of Knoxville last week. I, I'm not sure it's exactly the same. Do, do you see similarities between those two kind of storylines? I think so, and really when you look at the Vols' offense, the offensive line was atrocious last season and was really holding the entire offense back. The offensive line has played much, much better over the last three or four games, um, and the, the weapons on the outside with Jennings, Callaway, Palmer, and uh, the tight end Wood Anderson, they're veteran guys. Ty Chandler, the running back, is a veteran guy. It's just the quarterback has been holding back the offense. Uh, on defense, you've seen young players play pretty well in flash, but the lack of depth overall uh, with the Vols' defense has made it tough for them to hang tight in the second half with some other SEC opponents, especially because the offense has not been able to keep the defense off the field. The Vols' offense just gets in. in I mean, they've only scored 17 points in the two SEC games, um, and all those come in, in, uh, you know, early in the game. So the defense has not been able to hold up because of the lack of depth. But you have seen some progress. Uh, and that Georgia game kind of got away from the Vols there. as It was pretty tight to the first half. I know nobody cares about what's fair in, in college football. It's a zero-sum business. You either win or you lose. With that said, is what's happening to Jarrett Garantano or with Jarrett Garantano, the way that situation's being handled, uh, again, fair not being the right word. I'm, I'm not sure the word exactly that I'm looking for, but is it being handled in the right way? I think so. I, I don't know what other opportunity a guy needs. Uh, you know, I was talking with some other people in Knoxville media over Twitter the last couple of days, and uh, one of the guys had counted up after watching the game back again in the BYU game that there were four or five total scores left on the field. Uh, and against Florida, Jared Garantano left two touchdowns out on the field when that game was 7 nothing Florida in the first half. So, uh, you know, the guy's been starting a lot. Of, he started a lot of games for Tennessee. And he's won two big games last year against Auburn and then against Kentucky. But something's not right with Garantano this year. And 
I just don't think Jeremy Pruitt has the ability to allow Jared Garantano to work through this any longer. He needs to be able to have somebody out there because there there are weapons on the offense. The offensive line is improved. And you saw Brian Maurer go out there and make big plays. You know, he scored two touchdowns in, on back-to-back possessions um, and, and looked pretty poised. Where Garantano doesn't exactly uh, – you don't, you don't feel confidence from, from Jarrett this year like you have previously. So it, it's really – people are confused on what happened in the offseason and why because a lot of people have a lot of like, high expectations from Jarrett. I talked to you guys at SEC Media Days, and yeah. you know, I had high expectations for Jarrett Garantano, and I thought the Vols could win seven games. And that didn't include beating State. <laughs> so it, it's very confusing, but I, I definitely think the Vols have handled this the correct way. And to Jarrett's credit, I feel like he's handled it the correct way um, and has not lashed out. He's been there supporting of Maurer um, as well on the sideline, too. Austin Stanley, A to Z Sports in Nashville on uh, your radio, talking a little about the matchup between Mississippi State and Tennessee that is coming up on Saturday, an 11 a.m. kick, noon Eastern in uh, in Knoxville for that game. So Tennessee traditionally has one of the really good home field advantages in in college football. It's dwindled a little bit. There was a big crowd for the game against Georgia, but a ton of red and black in Knoxville. What's the stadium going to look like on Saturday morning? Uh, great question. It's going to be a noon Eastern kick. Looks like there's going to be some rain potentially. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, but I will say this. I'll more show up than I usually expect to show up, which is kind of crazy. I didn't think they'd have many people, um, at the BYU game one week after the loss of Georgia State, and they showed up and they had like 97,000. Uh, people there, and they were ready to party. Now, that was also the first game they sold alcohol in Newland Stadium, so there extra motivation for that. Uh, but Tennessee lost that game to BYU, and the crowd was still pretty strong against Chattanooga, the one win of the season. So uh, you saw a bunch of Vols players on Twitter after the loss to Georgia send out messages to Vol fans thanking them for, them for their support. Tennessee fans never really go away for, for whatever reason. They keep putting themselves through this, and they keep showing up strong. And you know, I expect it. You know, it's not going to be sold out. They're not going to have a hundred thousand people, but I expect it to be around eighty-five, ninety, which is impressive considering Tennessee sitting <laughs> yeah. at one and four. Yeah, it really, uh, really is. Austin Stanley on uh, on your radio, Austin. The I think the narrative has been squashed now that. Um, you know, if things continue to go south, Phil Fulmer steps in, takes back over. My argument against that has been that it doesn't feel like he wants to step into a spot where his legacy could be tarnished. And so I'm not sure that this is necessarily the right time to do that. Right. Um, has the whole somebody, whether it's Phil Fulmer or T. Martin or anybody, stepping in or Pruitt being relieved of his duties this year, has that kind of died down? Uh, I feel like it has. Uh, it, it's. I, I just feel like if Jeremy Pruitt is going to be fired at the end of this year, the Vols are going to have to go two and ten, and that would include an zero and eight SEC record, uh, and it would just have to fall apart. And that their only win would be over UAB, who, by the way, is a pretty decent football team uh, in yeah. November. Um, so I, I just think. Fulmer, and I always talk about when, when does the clock start on somebody. An athletic director hires a coach, and when that athletic director fires the coach they hired, they start their own clock. 
And Philip Fulmer does not want to do that right now. If he truly believes that Jeremy Pruitt is his guy that's going to do it the right way, the way that it happened in the 90s with the Vols, then he's going to give Pruitt at least another year, unless there's some off-the-field incident that is bigger than what's happening on the field. But um, I think Pruitt, 3-9, and nine, it's as ugly as 3-9 and nine is, and it's never happened with the Vols. A 3-9 and nine record, I feel like Pruitt's back for another year. Um, but, you know, really Pruitt needs to try to find a way to scrap and fight to get to four and eight or five and seven. Is there a road to Tennessee getting quote unquote back? I mean, given what Georgia's doing in the East, what Florida's doing under Dan Mullen in the East, and by the way, Dan Mullen is who Tennessee thought was going to be its coach right up until the point right. that Florida called. Yep. Um, is there a path back to, to anything more than about eight wins a season? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, Kirby Smart gets a job in the NFL. <laughs> Dan, now, you know what? Dan Mullen is more likely to get a job in the NFL because defensive coaches aren't getting NFL jobs that, that much that's, anymore. That's so, true. Uh, Dan Mullen leaving to go to the NFL, maybe, hey, the Titans might need an offensive coach here in a couple of years if Vrabel continues down this path. Um, but no, that's tough because Tennessee, uh, Tennessee and Florida were both when – when, when you called consider to what Tennessee was back, Florida and Tennessee were leading the East. Georgia yeah. was kind of sitting there in the third spot. But you look at Missouri. Missouri's consistently been been pretty good. The Vols are. I think there's. I think it's zero and seven against Will Muschamp as a head coach at Florida and South Carolina. So Oof. you know Will Muschamp needs to get out of there. So they need some coaching turnover in the SEC East for them to be able to really be back back where. Yeah. Um, where they're contending for an SEC East title about every year, and where they're playing, you know, where they're ranked consistently and, and playing for the SEC League title at some point every, you know, one in every three years or something like that. Sure. But a lot has to happen in the East for, for for the balls to have that room to grow. Austin, thanks for your time this afternoon. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Always appreciate it. It has just gone Here from bad to worse for the Atlanta Braves in the top of the first inning. St. Louis leads 5 to nothing with one out. Brian Snitker went to the bullpen. They brought Freed into the game to face, to face John Flaherty, the pitcher for the Cardinals. And he walked him on five pitches to make it 5 to nothing. Look, I know we got a lot of baseball to play. I hope you uh, jumped right in on the over. I just, how do you not just groove two fastballs into the pitcher? Like, don't you think he was trying to, or did he throw a couple of benders in there? I mean, I don't know how you missed that badly. I mean, it's the pitcher. Like, if Jack Flaherty hits a grand slam, then I think I said John Flaherty. How about it? Sorry, Jack Flaherty. Um, this one is still going. Another base hit down the left field line. Two more runs score, and it is seven to nothing, Cardinals with one out in the top of the first. Yikes. Gracious. Just a one-possession game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've given up a seven-play, 85-yard drive to start the game. Wow. Wow. Plenty, plenty of time to reset. My I, goodness. That's Doesn't Atlanta deserve hole. to have – doesn't the city of Atlanta – not that I you know, want the Falcons to do anything good, but – 
Don't they deserve to have a game like this where they just they're getting down early and they come back to win? Well, they deserve that. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Well, they won the, the MLS Cup last year. That's good enough. <laughs> yes. That's, it, that's, it's accurate. not that that is an impossible hole to dig your way out of. The problem... Uh, yes, it is. And the overhit at the top of the first. Hey. It's not nothing. Nine to nothing... A bases clearing double. I'm I'm really kind of at a loss for words here. (laughs) Other other than cash your tickets, you know it would be fun. Not even being sarcastic, just reading the like GameCast play by play of this inning once it ends. What do you do if you're a fan for the rest of the eight and a half innings? Enjoy a beer or yeah, you just try to run the place out of beer. You really hope that you didn't pay a lot for tickets to get to this game. Yikes! I mean, that is that's tough. What is it tough though? Because what would you rather have? Would you rather your team get down nine to nothing in the first in a game like this, just so it's? For the rest of the game, you know, look, there's no shot. It's over. You let me down easy. Or would you rather have a one-run lead with two outs and two strikes and you give up a two-run home run? I think I'd rather be in the game for a couple innings. Yeah. I mean, the Rays haven't batted yet. (laughs) (laughs) They've gotten one out. (laughs) They got an out and this is over. Yeah. It's bad. If this happened in like the third or fourth inning, Borky, I hear you, but like, <laughs> all right, we've got a cool story to uh, bring to you this day in sports history. It's actually this week in sports history. It's brought to you by Acoustic Wave of Mississippi. Do you have pain in your body? Acoustic Wave has an effective pressure wave therapy that can treat any kind of joint or muscle pain with no incision, no scars, and no downtime. Many have even experienced full recovery in just two to six weeks. You can call them Acoustic Wave Treatment of Mississippi to book your appointment today or visit them online at AcousticWaveMS.com. All right, Borky, this is a pretty good one. When you look back in college football history, 1999, while at Oklahoma, Mike Leach planted a fake play script and fooled Texas into thinking that it was real. Mike Leach at the time was an assistant on the Oklahoma staff. This was before he got the Texas Tech job. Yeah, it was Bob Stoops' first year as well. 17 to nothing. That was the score Oklahoma leading before the Longhorn staff realized that they had been duped. I remember reading this story last year when it came out. And this was one of the great, um, one of the great, uh, it's not a heist, that's a skullduggery. It's a gotcha. It really is. 
So Mike Leach, during pregame warm-ups of the 1999 edition of the uh, Red River Showdown, an underhanded script outlining OU's opening offensive plays was spotted on the field by one of Texas's student assistants, who scooped it up and took it to the Longhorns defensive coordinator Carl Reese. The heavily favored Longhorns, it seemed as if they'd caught an enormous break. Reese says, we were trying to figure out if it was authentic. We were in this state of, can we believe this? Well, they shouldn't have. It was a fake, part of a uh, plot hatched by Mike Leach, offensive coordinator for the Sooners, and consulted by the Longhorns, who quickly fell behind 17-0 before they realized that they had been duped. Former Texas coach Mac Brown says, say what? I wonder if the Braves are going to fall behind 17-0. It's more likely than them winning. Nothing. <laughs> just, just one more score. Is that a wild pitch on a strikeout? I would, they, they got a strikeout wild pitch that allowed a run to come home to oh, score. The guy reached base safely. Man, what is happening? <laughs> and now Molina's batting for the uh, second time. Goodness, it's got to at least be the second time. Balls in the dirt. Um, Mac Brown said, that does sound like Mike. I do know this. Offensive coordinators are so careful with those scripts. They wouldn't be losing them. Those things are valuable. Only Mike would think to lay one out there as a decoy. Leach briefly mentioned the Lark in his 2011 book, Swing Your Sword, but he never knew for sure just how seriously the Longhorns had taken it, how often they'd referenced it, or how effective it had been. As he found out later, the full scope of his plot, he was elated to learn that it worked. These things evolve and become somewhat legendary, Leach said. That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So that was 20 years ago, 1999, in Red River. And you got another version of it coming up this weekend with Texas and OU. This weekend at the uh, at the fairgrounds. Where is that on your list of games that you'd like to see in person? It's in the top five. Oklahoma is a ten and a half point favorite in the game, by the way. That Iron Bowl, Army Navy, Michigan, Ohio State, and then just a game at Notre Dame. Just any game at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I'd like preferably a big one, but I'm not going Southern to Cal. Easy. Yeah, sure, it'd be a good one. Can't decide if the split atmosphere makes me want to see it more or, or less, because like this weekend, for example, in Baton Rouge, the fact that it's going to be a hundred plus thousand people all rooting for the same side will make that an electric, like unbelievable, impossible atmosphere. But at Texas OU, it's split right down the middle. And I know LSU-Florida is not a rivalry, but you understand my point is, I wonder if that'll make it, that would make it better for me or more enjoyable for me or worse. I always thought, you know, not that, that, not that the stadium or anything is the same level or anything, but the, the Egg Bowls back in the day in Jackson were, were good atmosphere when the stadium was split. Hmm. But they're better what now, a- right? Well, they're far yes. more toxic is what people tell me, but I don't know. Nah. Nope. 
nobody wants to go back to rivalry games being played in Birmingham or Jackson. Oh no, 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 definitely not. I mean, there, there's debate in the in the cocktail party as to whether or not they should continue to play Georgia Florida in Jacksonville. Can't call it that yeah. anymore. I did, and I will. He just did. He was chopping when he did it. <laughs> yes, quite the uh, rebel I am. So that is uh, we knew this that already. Day or this week. And sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave of Mississippi. If you've got pain that you're dealing with, give them a call. They've got an effective pressure wave therapy that, again, can treat any kind of joint or muscle pain with no incision, no scars, and no downtown time. Check them out online, AcousticWaveMS.com. That's Acoustic Wave Therapy in Jackson. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll take a quick time out, come back with more after this. What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Some people call me the space cowboy. Yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Braves got a couple of base runners in the bottom of the first inning with one out. Long way to go. In the game, and specifically for Atlanta. Top of the first inning, 10-run first for the St. Louis Cardinals. Here's how it went. Walk, sack, bunt, single, single, fielder's choice, walk, double, intentional walk, walk, double, double, fly out, strike out, but reached on a wild pitch and scored a run, and then a ground out to the third baseman to end the inning. When was that that came to the plate? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... 12, 13 batters came to the plate in the top of the first for the St. Louis Cardinals. You're convinced that St. Louis should have uh, sat Jack Flaherty down now? I don't know about should have, but I would have considered it. I mean, you're up 10 to nothing. I guess you could do it as like a bullpen day, but you could have him again for Saturday. Don't you think they run Flaherty out there for about three innings and throw about 50 pitches and then shut him down? Probably. Would you potentially still throw him in game two? NLCS begins on Friday. It's two days. Thursday, Friday, yeah. That'd be... It's Friday? No, for sure. Game one is on Friday. Game two is Saturday. Yeah. I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't. I'd wait till Monday. During Game Three in St. Louis, yeah, but I guess you. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be unheard of. Yeah, I don't know. 50, 50 pitches. I mean, if you throw him on Saturday in Game Two, he could potentially come back for what Game Six? No. Could you bring him back for Game Five? So if he You're throws, making me count the days. Well, so, okay. I don't know. So, you can so take th- him out after 50 pitches and be okay. He, he throws game two on Saturday for the Cardinals. Sunday's a travel day. Game three is on Monday. Game four is on Tuesday. Game five is on Wednesday. Thursday's a travel day. Then you'd get back to Friday. So I think you throw him game two, game six. But, I mean, I guess if you throw him game three, you could turn him around and throw him game seven as well. Yeah. You're just losing a travel day in there. Is a possible extra off day. Anyway, maybe that was too much math. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. 
Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Jeff asked a question about whether or not Red River was at uh, AT AT&T Stadium. It is not. They still played at the Cotton Bowl in uh, Old Fair Park, the uh, fairgrounds there in uh, in Dallas. And what's the big statue's name? Big, uh, Big Tex? Big Tex burned a couple of years ago. Or maybe it was even last year, but they have uh, re-erected the Big Tex statue. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. Okay. Cowboy. The massive yeah. cowboy statue. Yeah. It's a shame that game's at 11 o'clock. I mean, I guess it's also good that they're not competing with Florida LSU, but annually that game being at 11 kind of kind of stinks. Um. Terry in Hattiesburg, he says it's the Red River Shootout, not Showdown, Richard. Kind correction, love the show. Well, forever, I I was taking a little liberty. First of all, the story that I was quoting from a second ago with Mike Leach called it the Red River Showdown. It has traditionally been the Red River Shootout. But political correctness and whatnot, officials surrounding that game have taken it in the direction of the Red River rivalry I've just kind of dumped the back end of it. I'm just calling it Red River from here on out. Call it whatever you want, though. It's Oklahoma, Texas. Pretty cool uh, Pretty cool atmosphere. Uh, Tim in Columbia says, Guys, face it, they've lost the game. They're not coming back. Typical Atlanta Braves. Really going out on a limb there. <laughs> Greg put your says, money let's where your mouth ourselves. Is. Say what? Put your money where your mouth is, huh? No. Yeah. Um, Greg and Nettleton says, let's dig ourselves out of a hole, Braves. In the words of Mr. Cross, jeez. Braves strand a couple in the bottom of the first, 10 to nothing after an inning in Atlanta. Keith and Vaden, uh, Borky, changing diapers isn't bad until they start eating solid food. That's we're good circling to back to that. Yeah, we're circling back to that. That's what I was telling you earlier today. Yeah, I've read uh, read it in the baby book that you'll be surprised. It said, don't get uh, too cocky about diaper changing in the first six months. <laughs> yeah, good good call. All right, this is from the NFL. 20 fel- uh, 25 NFL executives were asked by ESPN, a reporter at ESPN, if they had to choose one current quarterback to lead a game-winning drive, who would it be? 25 votes. Drew Brees got one vote. One. Ben Roethlisberger got one vote. Russell Wilson got two votes. So we now have 21 remaining votes to be tallied, but only two more players got votes. This is shocking to me. Seven votes for Patrick Mahomes. And the other 14 went to Tom Brady. The fact that Tom Brady got 14 votes and is gets the most and is the most often picked, not surprising. Why at this point is that not surprising? Because he's done it a ton in his career. But they're winning in spite of him currently. Mahomes getting seven votes? Yeah, that's not crazy surprising to me. Tell you what's surprising to me. 
is that not one NFL executive said they would pick Aaron Rodgers to guide their team on a game-winning drive. Or Gotta Teddy Bridgewater. Have a... I'm just I'm shocked. Do what? Not, nobody went with Teddy Bridgewater? Really? Oh, come on. 3-0. That's a starter. Active quarterbacks in the NFL to have delivered a game-winning drive. Aaron Rodgers has done it 20 times, which is four fewer than Joe Flacco. Elite. Four fewer than Andy Dalton. You got Russell Wilson at 25, Phillip Rivers at 31. Do you know Matt Stafford has engineered 34 game-winning drives in his career? Matt Ryan, 37, same number for Eli Manning. Ben Roethlisberger, 42. Tom Brady, 44. 49 career game-winning drives, most among active quarterbacks, engineered by the guy that's eventually, once again, going to be the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees. 49 of them. And out of 25 NFL executives that were interviewed, he got one vote. And he did it eight times last year. So it's not like that for I mean, that 49 is a compilation of his entire career, but he had his most in his career a season ago. It, I'm more surprised at Patrick Mahomes, though, because obviously he's great, but he hasn't really done it yet. And like you mentioned, I, I'm, I'm surprised that it's Mahomes over Rodgers because Mahomes is extremely talented and he's been on good teams, but Brady did beat him in overtime on the road a year ago, and Patrick Mahomes has not been asked to do it. Hasn't had the chances to, which I guess maybe you're projecting, but you know that Breeze can do it. Did it eight times a year ago. Even though Rodgers' number is kind of small for the amount of starts he's had, and that's somewhat interesting, you know that he can do it consistently. You haven't really seen Mahomes be that guy just yet. And he had the best offensive roster in football last year in his one full season as a starter. Makes it a little bit easier. All these other guys have had to do it on bad or lacking teams with the exception of Brady. To be fair, he led like three, four like last-minute drives in that Patriots game. The only reason they lost because he never got the ball back. They won the tw- coin toss and scored. Yeah. But I still would take, wouldn't take him over Rodgers or even like two or three other guys on this at this point. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that Aaron Rodgers has only 20 in his career. I would have I would have guessed. If you told me that Drew Brees had 49 and Tom Brady had 44 and that, that Aaron Rodgers was behind those two, you said, guess how many? I would have given you, oh, I don't know, 38, 40, 41. That he's only got 20 is a little surprising. Now, his career has been shorter than those two significantly. I mean, the kicker here is you have to be trailing a decent bit. That's fair. Probably why Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan are up there. I guess. So who would you pick? you got to pick one quarterback to go take you down the field on a game-winning drive. Who you got? Hey, Dad? Gee, let me think. Um, Gosh. Drew Brees? Borky? I mean, Brees did do it eight times last year, but... I mean, would you trust anybody else besides Aaron Rodgers? Any Anybody more than Aaron Rodgers in that situation? 
I mean, the numbers true, bear true out that Rodgers is not the guy that you trust, that Breeze or Brady or Big Ben are the ones that you trust. But my gut is I want the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands. I feel like he makes plays. Who would you take, Rippy? Aaron Rodgers. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online. Supertalk.fm. More coming up at the Renaissance Bank Studio. Charles Robinson at Yahoo writes this on Drew Brees. I've heard he's pushing to get back before Week 9 bye, but Saints want to be cautious, especially given Teddy Bridgewater's performance. Team seems to be eyeing a Week 10 return, so that's Week 9 game, open date, and then get him back in Week 10. But Brees has apparently been living in the training room in hopes of targeting Week 8. What's that do for you, Borky? I admire the competitiveness, and that's great. There is no reason whatsoever at all that he should play before they host Atlanta in Week 10. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever that Drew Brees should rush back to play the Arizona Cardinals at home, because that would be the game. That's Week 8. It's nonsense. I appreciate it. You're a competitor. You want to play teams winning and having fun and the stadium's chaining Teddy and you want to be a part of it, but wrap yourself in bubble wrap and we'll see you in week 10. But if he's healthy, why not play him? There's just no need to risk it. Do the full complement of rehab that the doctors are telling you that you need. Unless you are 110%, there's no reason to play. This also comes out every single time some major player is interested. It's like, He's actually targeting to return a couple weeks earlier. Oh, really? Like, thanks. I thought he might be saying, ah, cool it. I'll be back week 15-ish. Yeah. And like, what, what else are you going to say? Like, actually, it's going terribly, and he's probably going to be out till the playoffs. Well, video like, did come out this weekend of him throwing the ball earlier than he, – he's ahead of schedule, according to the, the local media there. Like, on his progress of being able to grip an NFL ball, he's throwing now – without pain, that kind of stuff. So, like, on the, the timeline, he is ahead of it. But the question is, if he if he's cleared, should you play him? And I say no. I guess my thought in this is if he's cleared, there's absolutely no reason not to play him. They're not going to clear him if he's not healthy and ready to go. You're going to tell a guy that competitive, who's had that much success who has a limited shelf life remaining in his NFL career, when he's healthy, he can't play just because you don't want him to potentially get hurt again? See, there's another layer to this, I think. You mentioned the limited shelf life. It was clear down the stretch last year that um, his gun wasn't firing as strong as it was in previous weeks. Yeah. And uh, you don't say this to him, and uh, they would never admit it if this is what they were doing, but... There might be a shelf life on that arm. And the fewer games he has to play when you're going to probably win regardless, or at least you're in good hands regardless, right? They go to Jacksonville this weekend. And these next two weeks, we'll see with Teddy. They go to Jacksonville and then Chicago. So games against teams that they're better than, but it's still not easy to go to Jacksonville and win or go to Chicago and win. But you will be fine until then, and so you don't need him to be back and take unnecessary hits and play in games that you probably should win without him. 
when you can have him healthy and rested for the playoffs, where last year he clearly was not as strong as he was in the start of the season late last year. So, you know, Porky, keep... I didn't have you pegged as an alarmist. I'm not really. Hey, this is more of a like a conspiracy thing. I mean, he's 40 years old, man. That, 16 game seasons. He just got five weeks off in the middle of the year. And that's a good thing. Let's give him seven. Hey, Dad, where do you fall on this? I tend to agree more with, with, with Richard on this, with you, Richard, on this one. You know, if, if the doctors are saying he's ready to go, he, then he's ready to go. They're, the New Orleans Saints doctors are not the Miami Dolphins doctors. They are going to, they are not going to take any risk with Drew Brees. So they, they, they won't put him out there if he's not ready. But that said, I get where Borky is coming from, at least. That, you know, when you've got a good thing going, you know, why not be 100% sure? Hold on now. The Dolphins didn't take a risk on him. That's the problem. Yeah, I screwed up the analogy. Just move on with your life. That was life. a bad analogy. You're a bad analogy. Your, your, your defense for me saying what you said make no sense was I know you are, but what am I? What's your point? <laughs> Real story here is that Drew Brees ruined SEC football. He, that he did. I'll give him that. No, 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 not Breeze. The Miami Dolphins doctors ruined SEC football. It, it wasn't well, their dad. He's the one that got his shoulder hurt. I, I read something. I, I could be wrong, but the doctor who did the uh, the analysis on him was was Danny Cannell's father. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. What what a tremendous story that would be, or, or a twist that would be. If the guy who was hated on the SEC more than anybody else, it's his own father who's the reason. i got to find I'll I'll look for it. Yeah, I could just see Cannell's dad going and coming into Breeze in the waiting room with the turtleneck and be like, "Yeah, your wings fried. You can't play." Yes, David he is, is the so Miami sure. Dolphins team physician. Say what? He Dan, Danny Cannell Senior is the Miami Dolphins team physician. <laughs> Still and, and was back then. Well, I mean, back then was two thousand six, and that was thirteen years ago. So yeah. I mean, a lot can happen in 13 years. He was, yes, he was. Oh, that's David and Socher says, rest up, old man. Uh, hot take Borky, uh, Borky is a contrarian, not an alarmist. Fair enough. That's a bit strong. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, maybe you're a farmer, maybe not. If you're not, maybe you're trying to build a dream home, or you're buying a piece of land in the country that's going to be a recreational property. Maybe you are a farmer and you've got equipment needs, need to get a production loan or refinance an existing loan or buy a new piece of property. Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've got locations all across North Mississippi. 
Corporate offices in Senatobia, also Kosciuszko, Senatobia, Cleveland, sorry, Kosciuszko, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, Starkville, and Louisville, Mississippi Land Bank. Check them out online or give them a call where they know the lay of the land. Good to be with you. 11 to nothing, St. Louis leading it over Atlanta. Top of the third. Cardinals have first and second with one out. Ozuna just got hit in the elbow, but he's got like a great big old gold He-Man elbow pad. He acted like it hurt anyway. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't feel great, but a lot of protection there. College football fix. Let's do it. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The F-150, best-selling truck in America for 42 straight years. Get behind the one. Test drive it today at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Borky, I'm going to read this fast, and then I'm going to turn around and read it slow, and we'll dive into it just a little bit. Courtesy of the Bear, Chris Felica from Game Day. Dating back to 2010, the last 12 ranked teams to pull a home upset and face another ranked team as an underdog the following week are 1-11 straight up and 4-8 and against the spread. The only win came in 2014 when Ole Miss beat Texas A&M a game after the Rebels upset Alabama. A lot to unpack there. I'll read it again, and I think you'll know the game that we're talking about this weekend. Going back to 2010, the last 12 ranked teams to pull an upset at home and face another ranked team as an underdog the following week, 1-11 straight up, only one win, and 4-8 and against the spread. The only win was 2014. Ole Miss beat Texas A&M a game after the Rebels upset Alabama. You know what game that refers to this week, right? Yes, I do. Last weekend in Gainesville, Florida, who was ranked but was an underdog at home to Auburn, beat Auburn. This week they go on the road to face another ranked team in LSU. So those are the parameters. It has not gone well in those scenarios. Was that a Dan Mullen impression you were? Ah, well, wrong team was favored. Yeah. (laughs) Does that mean anything to you with regard to Florida and LSU this week? It's not a good trend. (laughs) It's not not what you want to hear if you're a Florida fan. Not that you know, obviously some Florida fans are going to think that, but I think most people think LSU was going to win the game anyway. I don't know that the stat has anything to do with it. It's interesting, though. It, it shows that it's hard to get up twice in a row and play your best ball in consecutive weeks. I mean, you've always heard, and, and the numbers back it up, about the Bama hangover. A week, teams a week after playing Alabama statistically do not play very well in relation to the other 10 games on their schedule, a week after playing Alabama, teams do not play well. It's rooted in fact, not just what we see with our eyes. But 
the uniqueness in that Ole Miss game after beating Alabama is that was, I mean, that was the tear the goalpost down, win of a generation type game, and they turn around the next game and beat Texas A&M. That was as impress- impressive as beating Alabama. Getting your team up to play that well twice in a row is really difficult to do. They're not football-playing robots. They're 19-year-old kids, and especially after an emotional game and the way it played out for Florida, for some reason I feel like a letdown is coming because playing that well, getting up that emotional six days apart is really hard to do. And even though this isn't an exact science, there is a number kind of to back that up. Didn't Ole Miss smoke Texas A&M in that game? It was ugly. wasn't even close. It was like 30... 414 or something like that. And, and that's when AM fell apart. You know, that was the early, it was a little earlier than usual, but, you know, they lost the state the week before that in that huge Mississippi mayhem weekend. And then from there, it was, you know, no good for the, uh, for the Aggies. Final score was 35 20, but that win has now since been vacated. But Texas AM scored late oh, yeah. to, to make it closer than it appeared. Almost dominated that day. Cardinals have got the bases loaded pending a review. If they stay loaded, it's going to be because of an error. And I think the reaction that you had on the play, so it was a ground ball to short, throw to second, trying to start a double play, and the second baseman, that's Albies, right? At second. He's trying to pull it out of his glove. And normally you would get the call where they give you an out at second base they would call it the exchange. The problem is when Albies comes out, his throwing hand, he immediately shakes his throwing hand, which makes you think that the ball came into the glove and hit his hand and bounced out, as opposed to catching it in the glove and then dropping as, it, as it's coming out. Bases loaded, one out, and the Cardinals are trying to extend up 11 to nothing over Atlanta in the third. The Cardinals scored 20. The Braves shouldn't be allowed to go to the postseason next year. I think there's a carryover? Carryover effect? No, that's just what I should do. would do if I were a commissioner. Give me someone new. Um, LSU a 13-point favorite at home against Florida. So that, game, that line's gone down just a notch. What was it, 13 and a half earlier in the week? Feels like that's a spot where it's probably going to settle, doesn't it? Probably. I mean, I don't see anybody just hammering. I don't think it was hammer LSU, but at the same time, not a lot of people are going to bet on uh, on bet on Florida to win. Yeah, to cover even. Um, a little bit of movement in some different games. Vanderbilt has gone from a fifteen point favorite to a fourteen point favorite against UNLV. Um, Kentucky is a six point favorite at home against Arkansas. Mississippi State now a seven-point favorite on the road against Tennessee. Did that one open at six and a half? Is that right? Six or was it half, seven yeah. and a half? Went down to six and a half, it and now it's gone back to seven. Opened at six and a half. Are you surprised there's been such little movement on that game? I don't think anybody knows which, you know, I think people think Tennessee is better than what their record is, and I think people aren't sure about Mississippi State, so there's probably a lot of, uh, of better trepidation. Those first people you mentioned are nuts, but... Anyway, the Tennessee is a, from a talent standpoint, has, is better than one and four. Sure, they should yeah. be three and two from a talent standpoint. They just aren't. I thought I saw something. the The numbers in the the Red River game are a little surprising to me. Oklahoma's an eleven point favorite 
The total in that game is 76 and a half. And I saw, where was it? I think it was on ESPN earlier today, that on the money line, I don't see it now. I want to say earlier, I saw that on the money line, Texas was like plus 280 or plus 340. Wouldn't that seem abnormally large for that game? I don't know. Oklahoma's pretty good. They are. Base hit for the Cardinals is now 12 nothing. Just saw this on Twitter. It's been two years, eight months, and three days since Super Bowl 51, which the Falcons led 28-3. to <laughs> yes! You Saints fans are tough. Well, you know. We had a hard life. Um, didn't Auburn do that the year they beat Georgia and Bama underdogs in both in 2017? Not according to the Bears. Wasn't there a week in between? I think there was. There you have it. Were those back-to-back games? I don't think so. I think there was a week in between where they played some school that wasn't the classic SEC November bye. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. we got more coming up for you as we continue this afternoon. We'll talk some football. We'll dive into Ole Miss, Missouri, and Tennessee, Mississippi State. Give you a little taste of some thoughts on those games. Sports Talk Mississippi. More coming up after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon. Is Ole Miss the best team that Missouri has faced so far this year? I'm sorry. Yeah. Are they the best team that Missouri's faced this year? I mean, I guess it would be between them and South Carolina. I don't know. It's a pretty subjective argument. I would probably lean maybe no, not quite, but I guess it's close. I think Football Power Index has... South Carolina ranked higher. You look at Missouri so far this season, they opened with Wyoming. Ole Miss is ranked higher in the FPI than Wyoming. They played West Virginia, Southeastern Missouri, South Carolina, Troy. Is Missouri a clear-cut second-best team that Ole Miss has played this year? I Maybe. I mean, yeah, I guess we could go to FBI if you wanted to on that, but, I mean, subjective. Is Missouri better than Memphis? Probably. They're better than Arkansas. They're better than southeastern Louisiana. I don't know about Cal with Garbers. Cal with Garbers may be a different story. Certainly not better than Alabama. They are much better than Vanderbilt. These two teams have some similarities. Who? Or programs. Mizzou and Ole Miss. What similarities? Mm. Postseason bans. Laramie, Wyoming being a house of horrors. <laughs> um, on a serious note, they both lost kind of the like soul of their defense for the season. They play the same position, and they're both kind of adjusting to that. 
Ole Miss has kind of made the adjustment post Momo Sonogo. Missouri sure. is going to try and make that adjustment this week without Kale Garrett after the pectoral injury, which just sounds painful. Pectoral? Pectoral. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's rephrase that Pectoral? first question then. Um, Missouri's run defense has been extremely good, one of the best in the country. I think they only give up like two and a half yards per carry, only 444, if I remember correctly, total yards rushing this season. They've been very good, but have they seen a backfield as dynamic, if you want to call it that, whatever, uh, that Ole Miss will give them, whether it be Plumlee or Corral or a combination of both and those three running backs that they use? South Carolina would be the only team that would compare, and I think right now I would take Phillips and Ely and Connor over Dowdle and Feaster. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that, throwing the quarterback as well, as far as running. Try to look at Missouri's numbers here. Um, I'm not look. I'm not seeing what I was looking for. I was looking for those defensive numbers, but they're formatted and weird on the SEC website. Um, Just take my word for it. Their run defense is. Oh no! It's two point really eight yards a carry, eighty-eight point four yards per game. I was looking this up last night. Those are really good numbers. Yeah, Wyoming ran for like two something though. And what was it like? One forty came on two carries. Yep. Will Ole Miss be able to run the ball against Missouri? Yeah, but not to the tune of last week. Not for 413 yards? Probably not quite. So then what do they do? Let's pretend Missouri is able to stack the box, put eight men in the box, and in the early going, let's say in the first quarter, Ole Miss is zero points, just a couple of first downs, clearly not able to run the ball effectively. What do they do? Presuming that Plumlee is the starter and plays the entire quarter without interruption. I would assume try to throw the ball a bit more. I mean, it's about your <laughs> well, only other well, option if right. you can't run yeah. it. Right, yeah. I mean, like, okay, yeah. But when he's not able to do that effectively, because he hasn't up until this point shown that he can, do you make changes or do you just roll with him? What? Well, they claim they're going to play both quarterbacks, or they, they've been very open to the idea of teams preparing for both quarterbacks and kind of them getting them both ready to play. So you might see that regardless of how successful they are with the run. That's kind of the great unknown this week. I really have no idea. I'm not sure if they have, or they're probably kind of forging an exact idea of what they want to do you know, as we speak right now, but I think that is the great unknown this week. I really don't know, and that's kind of what I guess is interesting to find out. I don't know how much Corral plays, if at all. I would think he'd have to play some because the current version of what, they're do, what they did against Vanderbilt, not going to work. You know, I think there's... Uh, an interesting way of looking at this, and, and I would have to go back and watch Missouri's games to see the way other teams have tried to run against them. But the thing that stood out to me against Alabama was Ole Miss's ability with the running game to get to the outside. And so much of their run game is based on RPO concepts. I'm not convinced that every time you see a, a read option play that it's necessarily an RPO. I think there's some just designed you know, run-run options there, whether it's either going to be the tailback or, or the quarterback. But John Rice Plumley 
was able to get to the outside and outrun Alabama linebackers. And you can say to me all you want, well, Alabama's defense is not as good as it has been. I, I will certainly grant you that. But let's not pretend like they're not talented and they're not still fast. It would be one thing if Plumley had been getting to the outside and Alabama was getting there but wasn't able to get him on the ground. But he was getting the corner against those guys. I don't know how much Missouri has been attacked laterally in the run game. Because that's one thing that that I think that you've got a pretty good mix of. Plumley runs it really well. Ely runs it really well. Snoop Connor is faster, I think, than maybe he was given credit for. And then Scotty Phillips has been kind of the banger on the inside. So I think Ole Miss will try to establish the run inside. But I think the question is whether or not they're going to be able to get to the corner to get some some positive plays in the running game. And I think you will see Ole Miss try to throw it a little bit more this week. Whether or not that will be effective or not, I, I don't know the answer to that. You know, the, we, We've talked a lot about Plumlee as a passer. But I don't think you can just talk about quarterback in the passing game right now for Ole Miss. I, I think a, a conversation that has been under-discussed, I'm not sure I said that well, but you understand what I'm saying, is Ole Miss's receivers have not done a very good job getting open, getting off of press coverage, getting separation down the field. And that makes it really hard, whether you got you have a veteran quarterback or you've got a freshman quarterback. If receivers are not getting open, if they're not getting into windows, if they're not getting separation, it's hard to throw the football well. Hey, Dad, is there anything about Tennessee that should scare Mississippi State this weekend? Somebody on the uh, the text line sort of hit on it. I mean, this is a desperate football team. They are going to come out and try to land a haymaker early to get their crowd into the game. So, yeah, I mean, this is an SEC game on the road. You haven't played well on the road in you know a long time. I mean, even going back to to Mullen, you know, the state wasn't necessarily a, a powerhouse on the road. Um, there's plenty to be worried about. You know, you, you have to hold that. The, you have to hold to the fact that you think you're a better team with a better coach, and you, you should win the game. But if Tennessee comes out with with energy early, I mean, they could get their crowd into it. Mississippi State's not Georgia. I don't know that a, you know state falls behind early. That they would be able to just you know flip a switch and turn it back on. Is there a bigger concern for you in Mississippi State's ability to stop Tennessee's running game, or is it those wide receivers that we know are talented? They got a really good group of veteran wide receivers that just for one reason or another have not been able to get going consistently this year. So, are you more concerned about Tennessee's ability to throw the ball against Mississippi State's secondary, or their ability to run it? against what we think is going to be a full-strength defense this week. Yeah, and then the fact that it's the full-strength defense makes me think it's the passing game you have to worry about because, like you mentioned, those, you know, Jennings and Callaway and, and the tight end Wood Anderson, those are talented guys, highly recruited, and they've, they've performed at the college level. Um, so, you know, state secondary, I mean, we saw what happened against Auburn. Bo Nix, who has been a 50% quarterback all year, looked like, Dan Marino out there. He was just finding wide-open guys. Guys were running open in the secondary. State couldn't get anything going there. So, yeah, to me, the passing game is definitely the bigger concern this week. Do you honestly expect Mississippi State to play both quarterbacks? Yes. 100%, yes. How do you think those snaps will be If Stevens is healthy, yeah, I should say that. If Stevens is healthy, yes. Um, 
I think Stevens will be the starter, and Schrader will have some packages that will involve Stevens being on the field. And then if Stevens isn't effective, then you go to Schrader and stick with him. But if Schrader's not effective and Stevens is, then he probably gets the lion's share of the snaps. Right. right. Exactly. More with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Not getting any better for the Braves. 13 to nothing. Cardinals leading it in the top of the fourth. Well, there's a double play for Atlanta to get out of the inning with no damage done, despite a couple of base runners there. So, um, baby steps. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky. Brian Scott Rippey headed off to post-practice interviews with uh, Ole Miss as uh, last media opportunity for the week as they get set for uh, Missouri coming up on uh, on Saturday. Hey, Dad, let's stick for a second with this this game on Saturday in uh, in Knoxville. Sure. Is this a consequence game for Mississippi State? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. If State loses this game, man, the Moorhead bandwagon, whatever's left on it's gonna jump off. I mean this is this this is a must win game for Mississippi State just just to set the, the tone for the rest of the season. Because if you lose this game, you, you gotta really start thinking in terms of are you gonna get to six wins if you if you lose this game. At that point, I wouldn't take you know winning at Arkansas, even though Arkansas's bad, but Tennessee is bad. So you can't take that for granted. You can't take the egg bowl for granted. So yeah, this is a big game for Mississippi State and for Joe Moorhead. This is the game that marks the halfway point for Mississippi State. So, yeah. you know, you, you look at the back half of the schedule, LSU, A&M, Alabama, the Egg Bowl, and then Arkansas and Abilene Christian rolled into that. Yeah. And yeah, I even think, with a loss here, can you go 3-3 three and three in those final six? Sure. Yeah. I think State but, fans... If 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 state had lost if state if the season had played out the way everybody thought it was going to and that Tennessee was better and you were four and two coming out of this game and you had lost at Tennessee and at Auburn I don't think anybody is, is as angry as they are it's it's that that Kansas State loss is is just sticking with everybody right now you know again you lost at home where you had to lead in the fourth quarter and you just you just didn't play well that 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 to me was one that I think that's that's what's bothering MSU fans more than anything. But now you've got to win this game to keep the pace to win seven games or more this season. Assuming a win this week, that's four and two. And just kind of based on whether or not Mississippi State will be favored or not favored the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. LSU, they won't be favored. That would be four no and chance. three. No. At AM, probably not favored. That would be four and four. Yeah. Favored at Arkansas, that would be five and four. Not favored against Alabama, mm-hmm. five and five. Mm-hmm. Abilene Christian would be six and five. Yeah, and then probably will be favored in the Egg Bowl. Would would imagine it'd be close. I, I, right now, I mean, if I had to lay the odds out there, I think you'd make State like a four to six point favorite at most. And some of that will depend on what happens between now and then. Right. I mean, do, do, does Ole Miss? pull off an upset this week and then beat Texas A&M at home, and if they do, good grief. All of a sudden you've got some momentum, and that gets you to five, and then New Mexico State six, and, you know, 
who knows with Auburn and Mississippi State. But if it goes the other way, I mean, Ole Miss sitting at three and three right now. If they lose at Missouri to get to three and four, they lose at home to Texas A and M to fall to three and five, and then go to Auburn to fall to three and six. You're looking at a scenario where to get to six. Then you got to beat New Mexico State, LSU, and Mississippi State. Yeah. If Ole Miss loses the next two. I think most would say the most likely outcome is four and eight. If they split the next two, hmm, then it gets really interesting. If Ole Miss finds a way to get a win at Missouri, then all of a sudden, a lot of the negativity that has surrounded the Ole Miss program. Whether it's negativity about Matt Luke, negativity about, oh, it's too hot and the students don't sit in the right place in the stadium, negativity that is lingering from probation and not being bowl eligible for a couple of games. I'm not saying that that completely goes away. But if Ole Miss wins against Missouri, there is a drastically different feel inside Vaughn-Hemingway a week from Saturday when they host Texas A&M. Like an unrecognizable since early 2016 feeling inside that stadium. Would every ticket get sold? I don't know if every ticket would get sold. I mean, you're talking about A&M's going to sell every ticket. Yeah, they will. But, I mean, for every ticket to get sold, you're banking on A&M bringing 5,000 people and Ole Miss selling 58,000 more tickets. I'd venture to guess they may even bring more. Yeah, maybe. Kind of depends on what A&M does this week also, doesn't it? Is it hard to believe that that we could be talking about a win at Missouri as a signature win? It just doesn't sound right, but it could very well be for Matt Luke. Oh, I, I think it would... I mean, you know, if Matt Luke goes on to be the coach at Ole Miss for a decade, just throwing it out there, he's in year three, would people look back six years or seven years into his tenure and go, you know, the day it turned around was October the 12th of 2019 when Ole Miss went to Columbia, Missouri and got a win. I don't know if people would have a memory that long. I mean, you probably would be, you know, do they beat Florida at home next year? Do they, you know, is there an upset of Auburn on the road somewhere along the way and and that qualifies as a signature win? Maybe. I I think there's an argument to be made, hey, Dad, kind of the, the road you're going down there's a scenario where Saturday night in Columbia, Missouri could be a significant turning point for the Ole Miss football program. We, we could call it, if Borky wants to name, it could be turning point Saturday. because Let's go. It's sort of, it's sort of the same thing for State. If, if Moorhead loses this game, I'm telling you, the, he doesn't. his support right now is, I mean, the, the ice is thin, I think. A, a loss up at Tennessee, people are going to turn on him. And... But a win, I think, you know, I don't think it brings everybody back, but at least, you know, it's it it settles things down. 
you know, interestingly enough, it could be the same thing for Tennessee. Yeah. If Tennessee were to somehow find a way to win against Mississippi State at home on Saturday, now you don't know. I mean, Tennessee's schedule is still rough. Oh, yeah. I mean, after this game against Mississippi State, they go to Alabama, then they host South Carolina. Their one remaining but, non-conference game is against a really good group of five. Against teams. a good UAB team. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the, the schedule does Tennessee no favors. But if, if Jeremy Pruitt ends up making it at Tennessee for some extended period of time, there's a scenario where a home win against Mississippi State after they showed a little bit of improvement against Georgia mm-hmm. and kind of found a quarterback. You know, if Brian Mauer to go out and, and play well this week and kind of lead to lead Tennessee and it, it, it is like the official turning of the page from Garantano to, to Mauer. And stakes are pretty high in some games that don't necessarily grab a ton yeah. of of the national radar this week. Print the T-shirts, Borky. Turning point Saturday, this Saturday. Let's go. I like it. Um, Miles sends us a message on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. He said, you want to talk about, quote, games that are circled for the other team. A&M, uh, A&M has the state game circled, highlighted, underlined, bolded, bedazzled with a strobe light on it. Texas A&M's general Mississippi record is atrocious. He's right. State has won four of the last five. Ole Miss has had at least 500 since 2014 against them. I mean, the and and since A&M came into the league, you know, you you remember that Ole Miss played A&M back to back years in Oxford in Oxford with Johnny Manziel. Yeah, well, I mean, it can't really. Since Manziel's left, the record has been really good for both. The state never beat Manziel either. but yeah, that that game for whatever reason, State has been able to dominate them. I think under Sumlin, I sort of got it because State was a physical team and 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 they weren't. A and M was not. You know, Fisher's trying to get them there, but we, you know, as we've seen so far, they haven't really been able to do that yet. So right now, I mean, you said that A and M would be favored. I think you're probably right, but I don't think it'll be a big spread. Ceasefire text line, Gavin in Starkville says, don't know a soul who thinks this game is a layup. That said, excited for rainy 60-degree nooner. (laughs) And with regard to what we were talking about, turning point opportunities for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss, he says, yep, 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 to all of that. And for USM, Maybe talking specifically about the Mississippi State side of things. We got a text from about USM that this is a make-or-break game for them, sort of, on the conference championship. North Texas. Huge game. In Hattiesburg on Saturday night. If Southern Miss wins that game, then they're in a really good position to try and make a run for their division title and to get to the conference title game. The loss kind of come, it turns into a little bit more of an uphill climb.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.